Welcome to CryoTalk, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific. Featuring conversations between your host, Ava Amson, and experts in the field of cryo-electron microscopy. Today on CryoTalk, we're joined by Mimi Ho, Assistant Professor of Microbiology and Immunology at Columbia University Medical Center. We're talking about her switch between industry and academia. I hadn't even considered staying in academia, actually, until the summer before I graduated. Her dog, Mighty, who has been visiting the lab. My students are learning how to mill now um, on the FIBSEM, and so he's been going in and hanging out with them while they mill. And the value of building your own support network. What I think of as as my network is building kind of a support group, right? Like Mm -hmm. a support network. So I think of it as a support network more than as as like a career network, if that makes sense. All in this episode of CryoTalk. Hi, and welcome to CryoTalk. I'm Eva Amson, and I'm here today with Mimi Ho, Assistant Professor of Microbiology and Immunology at Columbia University. Her research group uses cryo-EM methods to study host pathogen interactions in malaria parasites. So hi, Mimi, welcome. How are hi, you today? Thank you so much. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Great to have you. So I think to start off, why don't you share a little bit about your career so far and you can tell people how you got to where you are today. Yeah, happy to. So um, I, I guess going back, so I got my undergrad at Berkeley in molecular cell biology, Berkeley MCB. And then after that, I worked um, as a research technician Um, in the lab of Bob Stroud at UCSF, working on membrane proteins. Um, I was a membrane protein biochemist. The lab worked on, you know, x-ray crystallography, using x-ray crystallography to solve structures of membrane proteins. Um, And so I was there for about, I think, five or six years. And then after that, um, I worked at Novartis in Emeryville, California, in in the Novartis Institutes for uh, Biomedical Research um, in their Infectious Diseases Division for about three years. Um, And so, and that time was working on kind of um, both viral and bacterial diseases, different projects. Um, And that kind of really, I think, lit a fire under me. I got, that was, I got really inspired and kind of that was what inspired me to go back to get the PhD. So then after three years at Novartis, um, I left to go to UCLA um, to get my PhD with um, Dr. Hong Zhou. Um, he was my PhD supervisor at UCLA, um, was there for four, four years and a, and a few months. And then after that, um, um, applied for and got a tenure track position at Columbia. And so that's where I am now. I moved here um, and started my position in January 2020. So it's been about two and a half years. Great. It's a strange time to start, isn't it? Early yes. 2020. <laughs> yes. <for> sure. <laughs> and yeah, you've done both um, academia and industry. Any interesting differences there? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> that uh, interesting differences. So I think that I think that in industry it can be a lot more structured. I guess mm-hmm. there's there is a lot more structure, which I really enjoyed, um, and that's something that I'm trying to kind of bring across in my lab now. So there's a lot of kind of practices that I really liked that in industry, um, kind of you know setting setting intentions at the beginning of the year, having milestones and kind of check-ins every quarter, or like having, you know, the halfway year mark check-ins on different projects and things like that, um, I felt like worked really well. There's also, they're um, very, very much into kind of note keeping, like keeping Mm -hmm. really, really good records. And so that's something that I've also brought across with me 
into my lab now that I think is really important, um, especially with the work that we do, keeping track of all of your data and all of your grids and everything is super important. So yeah, that's um, a good habit to have. <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of really good habits from industry that I'm bringing across. <laughs> Great. So how did you get started using cryoEM? Um, yeah, so I, like I said, I was a membrane protein biochemist by training. And so when I started my PhD, um, I actually fell in love with this protein complex called PTEX. Um, so I was really interested in this protein complex. It's a large membrane protein translocation complex. Um, it's a translocon in, um, that works in the parasite that causes malaria, Plasmodium falciparum, and it's responsible for the um, export, the transport of all of these hundreds and hundreds of effector proteins that the uh, parasite uses to remodel the host red blood cell. So the parasite lives inside human red blood cells um, and in order to be able to do that, it has to completely remodel the inside of the red blood cell. Um, and so it has all these effector proteins that it has to somehow make and then secrete out into the host cell. And so all of those travel through this, um, this large membrane protein complex called PTEX. Um, and so I kind of really fell in love with this complex and wanted to solve the structure. And um, it, was, uh, it became obvious, I think, during my rotations at UCLA that um, cryoEM was going to be the way to solve this. And so um, I ended up joining the lab of Dr. Hongzo and um, ended up then using cryoEM, learning cryoEM from him and then used it to solve the structure of this large membrane protein complex from uh, malaria parasites. Cool. Yeah, that kind of brings me to my next question. Um, what makes cryoEM such a good method to really study host pathogen interactions compared to other things? Yeah, so I think that, I mean, there's two things. Um, so one, I think, was more relevant during my PhD, and one is more relevant now that I've started my own lab. So um, I think the first thing is that um, single particle cryoEM, because it requires so much less material, you need much less protein, um, and also you don't need the protein to be nearly as homogeneous as other structural biology methods. So for example, like X-ray crystallography or NMR, you need large amounts of like large, large amounts of high protein at high concentrations that are very, very pure. Um, and that's very difficult to do if you're looking at kind of, you know, native or endogenous sources, non-model organisms, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of the major strengths of uh, CryoEM is that now because you don't need as much sample, you don't need to be as pure, you can go after uh, protein complexes from non-model organisms, from native sources. So in my case, for example, um, the protein complex I was interested in, you could not express it in recombinant systems. Um, it just doesn't express properly. It doesn't fold properly. It's, it's a mess. And actually, the organism that I work on, Plasmodium falciparum, actually, the vast majority of the proteins are like that. They really don't like to be um, kind of expressed in recombinant systems. And so um, that's reflected in kind of the paucity of structural information from this organism. And there's a lot of other organisms out there like that that are non-monoral organisms that, you know, it's just very difficult to express those proteins very commonly. And so now with cryoEM, you don't have to anymore. You can actually, there's more and more stories coming out every day of people um, purifying and solving the structures of these gorgeous protein complexes that they've enriched from endogenous sources. And that is totally something that would not have been possible without single particle cryo-electron microscopy. So I think that's uh, one of the major benefits, um, especially when it comes to infectious diseases, because we have a lot of, you know, non-model organisms and in infectious disease that, um, really benefit from from single particle and so now i think that was kind of 
very much the story of my PhD. And now that I started my own lab, we're taking off in this new direction um, called in situ cryoelectron tomography, where we actually don't even break open the cell. We're looking directly at our parasites living inside red blood cells intact. Um, and so we just directly take our parasite infected red blood cells, we freeze them, and then we um, kind of are able to then thin them to a very thin section called the lamella that we can then take tilt series of. And so you can actually see um, we're getting these really, really gorgeous tomograms of the host pathogen interface. So we're directly able to actually visualize the host pathogen interface at sub nanometer to near atomic resolutions, um, right? Either directly or using septogram averaging, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that is also another major strength of cryo-EM, cryo-ET in looking at host pathogen inter interactions is that you can actually, with your eyes, look yeah yeah that's such a like that's such an advantage to really see the actual yeah, the place where it happens really yes <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely um and, and we already talked a little bit about your career but has there ever been a moment um either in your research or in your career path where things took a surprising turn yes definitely <laughs> um so as you may have seen from kind of the first question, my path to where I am right now has been kind of pretty convoluted, not straightforward, right? So I went, you know, kind of, I was in academia for a while, then I went to industry, went back to academia, and actually my original plan, so the reason, the original reason to go back and get the PhD was actually so that I could go back to industry. So I like was having so much fun at Novartis, um, working with these amazing people on these really exciting projects that were, that really had, you know, immediate downstream effects like downstream applications so like one of the drugs one of the projects that i was working on um the drug reached phase one clinical trials by the time that i left the company wow. which was really <laughs> exciting <right>? yeah <laughs> and so my original motivation for going to get the phd was you know to get the phd because i could see that you know in order to be able to kind of participate and kind of you know gain more influence over projects and just kind of you know give more uh, be more involved um at a higher level in industry, I, I needed that PhD. And so that was my original motivation of taking a huge pay cut and going back to grad school um, to get that piece of paper so that I could go back into industry um, and do really exciting things. And so that was kind of my game plan uh, during my PhD. Um, and I hadn't even considered staying in academia actually until the summer before I graduated. Um, I didn't know at the time that I was going to out be graduating so soon. So I had this pizza so PTEX, we had finally, I had finally solved the structure and we had, you know, kind of gotten the paper accepted. And so I was presenting it at a conference at a GRC. Um, it was a host, host parasite interactions um, conference. And when I was presenting it, a lot of PIs came up to me afterwards and they were like, that's awesome. Like, what are you planning on doing next with it? And I was, you know, what would you want to do next? And I told them what I wanted to do next. And then they were like, so are you applying for positions? Like what, what's happening? And then I was like, oh no, I'm going back to industry. <laughs> and everybody was just like, but you have all these plans. You have all these things that you want to do with this project. Like why wouldn't you even consider the possibility of staying in academia and maybe pursuing some of these exciting new avenues? And so this was something that I hadn't, I literally was just, I had these blinders on and I wasn't <laughs> thinking, right? And so they, um, two of the junior PIs at the conference who are very close friends of mine now, um, spent kind of two hours on the last day of the conference, just sitting there and talking to me and convincing me that I should at least give it a shot. 
And so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I kind of had a bit of a meltdown in, in Boston Logan airport on the way home because I, it was just, you know, it was something that I had not even considered. And so I was freaking out a little bit. I called my sister um, and she was like, okay, so I think the reason you're freaking out is because you're trying to make this decision right now, this huge decision about whether to stay in academia or go back to industry without any information, right? Like I was trying yeah. to make the, the call right there in the airport. Yeah, you so don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, and so she was like, why don't you just apply to both positions and then go on the interviews, you'll learn more and then you'll feel better about making the decision because you have more information. Hmm. So that's what I ended up doing. I applied for some independent fellows positions. I also applied for just, you know, some straight up faculty, tenure track faculty positions and I applied for industry positions as well. Um, and then I ended up going on all of the interviews and in the end, um, I chose the faculty position because it was the position that allowed me to do all of the things that mm -hmm. I loved. So I kind of really fell in love with this parasite. It's amazing. It does this really cool, all of this really cool biology that you don't see anywhere else. It's really unique. And um, obviously, I also very much love cryo-EM and cryo-ET. Mm -hmm. And so this was the position that allowed me to kind of continue to be able to do all of those, if that makes sense. So yeah, I completely unexpected. I was totally not planning to end up in academia but um here i am that's a great story and i can totally imagine how a room of academics reacts when you say that you actually <laughs> want to stay in industry <laughs> they must have been very shocked <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i think attitudes are changing these days i think mm. definitely in the in the old days people were very kind of very hardcore academia but i think people are recognizing these days that you know you you can do amazing science in either mm. setting there's amazing science happening in both in both locations i mean i think like what has happened with this pandemic and the development of this vaccine has been a really beautiful example of the fact that you need contributions both from academia and industry in order to get something big like that to happen right yeah so um yeah i think i think more and more people are recognizing that it's not it's it's not one or the other a lot of times it's kind of a really cool interplay between the two so so what's next? What are you looking forward to in your researcher career? <laughs> yeah, so um, we're currently pushing to try to get our first paper out <laughs> as a lab. Um, so that's one thing that we're really looking forward to. Um, I just had two, um, my first two graduate students join a couple months ago and they're amazing. So I'm really <laughs> enjoying watching them learn and kind of fall in love with CryoEM. Um, it's, I think that, you know, it wasn't that long ago for me the first time that I fell in love with cryo-electron microscopy, but it's really fun to watch people kind of go through the, the first steps where they, I don't know, all of that joy is, is really, really fun. So that's something that I'm really enjoying right now. And we're, like I said, we're pushing really hard on this paper right now. So we're really looking forward to getting that. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, I think that's something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I think from then we're, we're kind of, we've been over the past two and a, like two years, we've spent really kind of, from scratch, like teaching ourselves how to do the cryo ET because we didn't know how to do any of it at the beginning, like, you know, how to how to prepare the cells, how to do the how to do the, you know, freezing, the filling, the data collection or any of the data processing. And we started literally from scratch and have been kind of teaching ourselves. And so um, I think after this first big paper gets out, it, this is kind of our paper to say, like, we can do this, like, you know, we're here. And then after that, we're really, really excited to kind of push the boundaries and see, you know, what new things we can discover in terms of um how this awesome parasite interacts with its host um, using this new method so very excited cool 
And you've also been working on a podcast. Now we had um, we heard a little bit about that podcast uh, two episodes ago when we spoke with Liz Kellogg, um, yep. and then um, the episode after that um, we spoke to Mike Tamfrocco, who we didn't we didn't talk about the podcast in that episode. But you're all in this together, I believe. Yeah. So I think, tell tell us a bit more and and what's happening now. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely. So the podcast was kind of inspired by um, so. We formed this kind of um, network during the pandemic. That's one awesome thing that's come out of the pandemic is <laughs> there's a lot of networks that have formed like support groups almost yeah. that I don't think would have happened without the pandemic. And so through that, Liz and Mike and I got really close. And so um, we were kind of hanging out. We have these kind of really awesome conversations, like really broad ranging conversations about all kinds of things. So not just specifically talking shop, but also talking in terms of like, um, kind of what it's like to start up, start up a new lab, especially in the middle of the pandemic, um, and kind of, you know, career paths and kind of plans and things like that. And then also kind of our hopes and dreams for, for the future for CryoEM. Um, and so out of all of these kind of really wonderful conversations, we thought, well, you know, why not share this with people? So yeah. we thought it would be really cool, um, there's obviously, you know, these interviews are great, but it, we also, so we wanted to go for, we, there's obviously a lots of people already like you already doing these amazing interviews. So we wanted to go for something a little bit different. And so what we did um, is we have this series of six interviews where it's a little bit like fireside chats a mm. little bit um, almost. So it's the three of us and we're interviewing somebody. Um, uh, we have, we invited a, kind of a few different people in the field, kind of leaders in the field, and also people who are brand new, just starting out in the field. Um, and we tried to make sure we had covered a broad diversity in terms of kind of different career paths. Mm -hmm. And so we've invited these guests to come um, kind of there each one, I think maybe 30 minutes, um, 20 to 30 minute episodes. And we really tailored the questions to the, the person. It was really special because each of the people that we invited were people that we personally knew and mm -hmm. had relationships with. And so they were kind of really awesome interviews because they shared a little bit about their career path, how they got to where they're going, which I think is really great. Um, a little bit about their vision for the future. And then also kind of, you know, more about their individual science as well. So I think it's a little bit different than, you know, the normal kind of interview. And so I think people, I mean, just we thought it was really fun to do. <laughs> and then afterwards, we've been watching like we just watched the last one. So they've been kind of doing post production and then sending us um, the kind of final final pieces for us to kind of go in and make the last minute changes that we want. And they're amazing. Like they're absolutely oh, cool. all of them turned <laughs> out so well. We're really excited to share it with everybody. And um, we were yeah. planning on doing it as a one off. But I mean, if everybody else thinks these are <laughs> as cool as we do, we might have to do a second season. Yeah, and by the time that this episode goes out, um, it, your podcast should be live, so we can put a link in the in the description yeah, as well. Yeah, that so. would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, there it's literally like we there, there was just my I I want to say you know all of the episodes are my favorite. Actually, they're all <laughs> from completely different perspectives. Some with really senior people, kind of very forward thinking. Um, the the one with Ifan where he talked a lot about kind of mentorship and how how to build a healthy lab environment and how to kind of just you know foster like a broader like healthy you know just a healthy collegial community um just a lot of really amazing stuff in there so I'm very excited to share it with everyone yeah <laughs> and I know from experience it's fun to interview people for a podcast it so is. I'm sure you it's had a lot, lot of fun, fun. yeah <laughs> yeah no we had a ton of fun with it very much so 
So it, it sounds like this was already fun, but what else do you do for fun? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess I read a lot. I, I like reading. Um, sometimes if I want to just chill, then, then um, I watch TV also. But I think just to kind of calm down and relax, I like hanging out with my dog. This is Mighty. Um, <laughs> he's a, yes. So he's a Chawini. He's about 13 years old now, I think. Oh, he's so been with old. me a long time. And so, yeah, he, he, we, we like going on walks with him um, to, there's a bakery that we really like that's down on the Upper West Side. And so we, I kind of, every, every weekend we walk down with him. So, yeah. That's great. I spend a lot of time just hanging out with him. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> especially going for walks I just have a cat so, so I can't really go for walks with my cats <laughs> yeah he's just sleeping most of the time yeah. yeah I mean I mean lately so I've been taking him in and actually with my students are learning how to mill now um, on the FIPSEM and so he's been going in and hanging out with them while they mill and um, yeah they've really enjoyed that I think they've gotten to the point where they refuse to mill without him actually <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the team yes um, I got a couple of, of quick fire questions for you as well. And we asked yeah, sure. everyone the same questions so that we can mm -hmm. kind of compare like what are all the cryo EM researchers doing? <laughs> so do you prefer the city or the countryside? I like them both. So I grew up in Ames, Iowa, which is definitely, I think, what most people in New York would consider the countryside. <laughs> um, and it was an amazing place to grow up as a kid. So I spent kind of all my time running around outside, building forts, like raising baby birds, all kinds of stuff, right? And then now I think as an adult, I prefer to live in a city. I'm, I think I'm definitely a big city person, mm -hmm. um, but it's really nice to visit the countryside to decompress. Yeah, it's a good balance. And yeah. do, you like, do you like to cook? I do like cooking. Um, I love cooking. I like baking even more actually so <laughs> I started baking before I started cooking but yeah I do really like to cook when I have time what's your favorite thing to make um I I don't have a favorite I really like miso salad so I mm. I make a pretty good miso salad um there's also a lot of kind of just um I don't know basic home food like Chinese dishes that I learned from my mom that I that I like making there's a um, Chinese spare ribs with green beans that I really like as well. And you, you mentioned that you like to read. Um, is there any books that you'd recommend? Oh, you should have warned me about this one. I have so many. Um, I, or several. <laughs> yes, I have a ton. Um, so I, I really like Ender's Game. That's like my go-to that I always recommend to people is Ender's Game. Um, science fiction one I also really like War for the Oaks which is more of like an urban fantasy I like Seven Eves actually mm. as well um the the author is from my hometown actually which I didn't discover until I was already <laughs> like really into his books um, but yeah I could give you a whole list but I think <laughs> we probably don't have time <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and and what about um tv do you watch tv or films I do um both. I watch more TV these days than films. Mm. Um, although I have to say that I, I went and watched the new Top Gun twice in theaters. I'm a huge Top Gun <laughs> fan, like my guilty pleasure. Like I, I, I absolutely love Top Gun. And so we went and watched it in theaters twice actually. And 
it was equally good both times. I really, the, the new one is really good. If you're so, a fan it's of always it. better in the cinema, especially those. <laughs> that one films. particularly, yeah, I think it's worth watching on the big screen, mm. um, just because the the visuals are amazing, and so it just won't have the same effect if you don't watch it on the big screen. And do you like listening to music? I do. And what kind of music do you like? <laughs> um, it depends on what I'm doing. So if I'm writing, mm -hmm. um, I like listen to lo-fi music. So it's not, yeah. there's no lyrics. Like I can't, when I'm doing, when I'm doing research or when I'm doing work, when I'm working in a lab, I have a hard time focusing if I listen to things that have lyrics because then you mm -hmm. like start singing along and then you like lose your place. So um, the lo-fi music works really well for that because there's not any lyrics to get caught up in and it's pretty mm -hmm. chill. Um, yeah. But it keeps you awake as yeah. well. So that I really like. Um, and and then, there's all these lo-fi playlists now as well. For there are. There's some really great ones. Yeah, <laughs> I, I discovered them. I don't remember when I discovered them. But yeah, they're really good for all kinds of things, for picking particles when you're doing something that, you know, you have to stay awake mm -hmm. for that, like, you just kind of have to power through. It's really great for that, too. Mm -hmm. So gotten really into that recently. So I know you love science, but if you had to do something else, if you were not a scientist, what would you be? <laughs> um, it would probably be something in the food industry. I'm a huge foodie. I love food of all kinds. And so um, I think if I hadn't already done it, I would say that I would want to be a bartender because I think that's a really cool job. You get to like interface with a lot of people. It is kind of food centric as well. Um, but I did bar back for a couple of months already <laughs> when I was in between jobs. Um, right after I graduated from undergrad. And so now I think it would probably, I think it would be fun to run, to own like a bakery slash coffee shop, mm. cafe type thing, maybe. Yeah. That, I don't that, know that I would want to do like a full on restaurant, but like. I think that thing. would be mine as well. Like running right? a little cafe. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. Maybe on the beach somewhere <laughs> in a beach town. <laughs> And it's funny that you said bartending because in my mind that is so much like a lab work. It's like yeah. mixing yeah, no, things very much... and keeping things clean and yep. fast paced and yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that, I think that's why also I love cooking and baking because it's it's basically like doing mm -hmm. biochemistry, yeah. right? Like you're mixing things. So finally, I've got one more question that I ask everyone, and that's: mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for researchers who are just starting out? So maybe thinking about your new students, what would you advise them? <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that the first thing that I advise them is to keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. um, don't put on the blinders. <laughs> so that you know, <laughs> obviously, I mean, I think from my career path, it's pretty obvious that like you have to grab opportunities when they come up and they might not always come up when you expect them to. They might not always be a lot of times they won't be what you're expecting. So just keep an open mind and keep your eyes open. And so, so that you don't miss those opportunities when they come along. Cause a lot of times the unexpected ones are actually the best ones. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that would be my, my first piece of advice. Um, my second piece of advice would be to find good mentors. And by that, I don't just mean your PhD supervisor. I mean like at all levels, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that it's really important if you're a graduate student, for example, to kind of find a couple, like one or two postdocs and one or two kind of maybe people that are um, at the assistant professor level and then one or two people that are mid-career senior, like people at all mm -hmm. different levels, because um, they're all going to give you different advice, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. they, they're at different different life, life stages, I guess. I was about to say life cycle stages because <laughs> <I'm, laughs> my mind is always thinking about parasites. <laughs> 
but but yeah they're all you know we're all at different stages and so the advice that they have to offer um is very different their perspectives are very different so mm-hmm. i think it's really important to find mentors at all different levels and then also obviously at the same level as you um i think when i was younger whenever people said networking i was always like oh like networking it feels mm-hmm. kind of artificial and like you're putting yourself out there and it you know there's ulterior motives but actually um so i don't like that but mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, these days, what I think of as net, as my network is building kind of a support group, right? Like mm-hmm. a support network. So I think of it as a support network more than as like a, as like a career network, if that makes sense. And so yeah. um, that's why I was saying like at, during the pandemic, I formed kind of a support network in with my parasitology colleagues. So there were a few other junior PIs who all started around the same time as me in parasitology and we formed kind of like a support group almost mm. where we have a text chain and we like share kind of all of our, whenever we're really sad about something or really excited about something, we have somebody who are, who are like exactly at the same stage as you. And so they get excited. They know exactly where you are. Yeah. Right? And oh, I have great. the same thing in cryoEM. Yeah. So I have, I have a group of that in, in parasitology and then one also in cryoEM, my two fields. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's super important. Um, they're not, I don't think, you know, they're, they're my friends. I don't think of them as like, yeah. Right. But it's, it's, I think that's really important is to build, a support network of peers that you know understand what you're going through and are in it with you um who can kind of really share your your wins and your losses with you that's that's great advice and i think it's really useful also for people to know you know that that word like you said networking sounds boring and horrible but it really yeah. is just socializing and talking to people yeah no and i think definitely thinking of it as a support network helps a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, great um, well, thank you so much. That brings us to the end of our episode today. So thanks again for coming on the episode. And thank you, everyone, for listening to or watching CryoTalk. Thank you so much for having me. I had a really good time. Thank you for listening to CryoTalk, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash cryotalk.